You're listening to 2325 Fitness, your favorite health and fitness podcast with your hosts Rafi Husseini and Talha Javed. In this episode, we have a temporary host, Nibras Memon, who is also a fitness enthusiast like Talha Javed and myself. Our guest in this episode is James Q. We talk about different myths and why people who follow these myths tend to fail and much more. Enjoy the episode. Today we have with us James Q. James is a body transformation coach. He has a lot of experience under his belt and he can make you look good or as a matter of fact, anyone look good in a way that they do not have to detest or hate any diet or nutrition because his specialty is that you can look good while eating pizza almost every day or on a regular basis. How are you doing, James? I'm doing great, thanks. Yeah, I I wouldn't necessarily say every day, but yeah, certainly uh, (laughs) certainly now and again, it shouldn't be completely eliminated. That would be my line, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, and and the the reason why I said every day is because like there there are people that are that kind of like you know also do that you know they've done challenges of like eating something every single day like Jordan Stiet. Uh, oh yeah, was, like, he did the McDonald's one a few right, years back. Right, yeah. you know? So I mean, mm. again, I don't think it's ideal, but it's it's possible. Yeah, and there was uh, there was I think I don't know if he's a doctor or not, but he did like a Twinkie diet. Have you heard of this? I haven't heard of it. It's a while ago now, yeah. So it's over 10 years ago now, I think. But yeah, like it was just to kind of prove the concept of calories in, calories out, basically. And he just ate, I don't even know what a Twinkie is, I guess. It's like a a Mars bar. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, And that's basically, I think he just ate that, drank water and had like a few like, you know, vitamin supplements. And that was it to make sure he didn't, wasn't like completely deprived of of nutrition you need to live. But yeah, I mean, he lost lost a a bunch of weight in... uh, I can't remember what the time period was, but yeah, it just, just proves the concept, I guess. Well, I mean, that that is really what the concept is, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's what we're here to discuss today. So like these things that a lot of these fitness trainers do, a lot of these people do, like how is it possible? What's the science behind it? And that's why we have you with us discussing and breaking down some of these myths and questions that the the average person may have for you. So James, just, just let us know a little bit. Let us let the audience know what got you into fitness, what motivated you to go above and beyond just being the average personal trainer, average fitness enthusiast, and like getting a science-based approach towards everything. Uh, well, I started lifting weights about 13 years ago. Um, I was, uh, I guess I, I was coming from an injury. That's initially what got me in the gym. And I was through physio and stuff. I was recommended. I ended up sort of starting doing some weight training and I found my body responded like fairly well to it. And I guess that's how I kind of got into it and started looking at, you know, different physiques and being like, oh, well, I'd like to look like that. I'd probably get more girls if I look like that. You know, <laughs> the standard stuff that most teenagers probably think and <laughs> that's probably why they start training. Um you know, and I made some reasonable progress. Like you, your program has to be absolutely terrible. You have to be doing something really wrong in the first couple of years to make no progress. <laughs> I made some reasonable progress, but yeah, after about a couple of years, like I'd really noticed I just wasn't really making any progress anymore. And I just kept looking for looking at different gurus and what they were recommending. And, uh, there didn't seem to be any kind of way of discriminating between, you know, what was right and what was wrong. Cause you know, one guru would say you have to eat this meal plan and take these supplements and train such, this such a way. And another guru would say things which completely contradicted that. And I just found the whole process like really frustrating. And I would move from like one guru to the next guru and 
one minute, you know, I had to do things this way. The next minute, all of that was wrong and I had to do it another way. Um, yeah, and I just found it really frustrating. And uh, eventually I, I just got to the point where, um, well, let's go back a little bit. I, I was at university and I wasn't actually studying anything related to um, nutrition or uh, sports science or anything like that at this point. Um, but one thing did stand out to in my course was that whatever claims we made and like the essays we were writing we had to back them up with evidence and that was just like a given like of course you have to do that you can't just pluck things out of thin air and uh you know just claim it to be true just because you said so um but i wasn't applying that same standard to the people i got fitness information from i was just looking at them because oh such and such is really jacked so he must know what he's talking about um so yeah i, I guess i had this realization that i needed to apply the same sort of standards of evidence and critical thinking to trying to work out what the best way to to grow muscle and lose body fat was um rather than just sort of accepting what someone uh, with big muscles said because they have to have big muscles so um yeah i guess that's kind of the overview of why i got interested in like evidence-based fitness and looking you know into the the evidence myself that's really interesting and i think over the past couple of years i would say is actually past four five six years maybe even 10 years that a lot of approaches have changed you know no longer everyone these days is talking about like how you should not uh look up look at uh like as you just mentioned you know people with big muscles only for your fitness or health goals rather than you should have some research-based information as well because that only helps you understand better what your body is capable of because if you look at someone else's and you're never going to know what they're going through. And I know you just made a recent post of like, you know, people looking up to fitness models and like uh, looking up to people that are like kind of like looks like a very unrealistic body, but they've been putting in a lot more effort and there's other factors that go behind that. So one thing I would like to ask you is what have you seen, which is more, more, more common, or like I would say is getting, more and more common in these days is that people look up these fads, these myths, and just look up regular stuff online. And then they realize that, oh, this is not working for me, or this is not something that I need to do. So what is something that you see that people, which is like really common that people try to look up online, and then they come to you be like, hey, James, I tried this, I tried that, it didn't work for me. Yeah, I, I mean, probably the most common thing right now is just demonizing carbohydrates, I would say. Yeah. If, if it was like, uh, if, if, you, if you go back like 20, 30 years, it was very like, you know, we need to be like low fat. We've got to have very low saturated fat intakes. And, and now it's completely sort of swung the other way where it's much more common to recommend very low carbohydrate intakes. Um, and yeah, and pe- people get sort of... Um, uh, obsessed about you know whether it's carbs or fats when we're and kind of lose sight of the bigger picture of you know it's energy balance it's calories and we don't need to demonize you know one or the other um i mean really things like that should primarily in my opinion be dictated by personal preference because you know if you prefer a low fat high carb diet then you're going to stick to that better Equally, if you prefer a high fat, low carb diet, you're going to stick to that better. It's it, so, you know, whether one is slightly better than the other or not really is a far less significance than, you know, what you can actually stick to in the long run. Uh, 
so yeah that, that, that that's probably the biggest thing because I, I mean so often I just get people in my dms being like oh you know I'm, I've cut my carbs super low but I'm not losing weight why is this and it's like well you know you're drenching everything in olive oil and eating three avocados a day and you know what is this a surprise to you and it, and it genuinely is and it's not their fault it's just because they've been led to believe that um you know keeping carbs low is all that matters and they don't understand what to me now appears like a fairly basic concept of energy balance but if you haven't been taught that then it's not going to be obvious to you so it's not their fault it's just um just the state of the, the fitness and nutrition industry as it currently is, I guess. So, well, James, um, you go, go for it. Just to touch on that real quick, and I know that like, mm. our clubs are like, as you mentioned, you know, like people are demonetized, they don't like, you know, demeaning carbs every single time. A lot of people these days, and especially in my friend circle, and, and even people that I, I've, I've read stuff about online as well, is that they still promote that keto is something that's really, really efficient, which I understand it is, but how efficient is keto when it comes to long-term? You know, because as you just mentioned that, you know, people sometimes tend to overdo even keto, but then when it comes to building muscle or like having efficient performance, does keto really play that much of a role than being on carbs? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, th- I think the evidence is pretty clear that um, at, at least in the area I focus on, which is kind of getting stronger and lifting weights, ketogenic diets and low carb diets are not optimal for uh, for muscle growth and for, and for workout performance. Not to say they're like massively suboptimal. I think sometimes people can get hung up on like, like the way I phrase things, people can misinterpret them. Like if I say something isn't optimal, people sometimes turn around and be like, oh, what? so you're saying I can't build muscle doing keto? It's like, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you might be able to potentially build muscle a little bit faster if you're eating more carbohydrates. But um, but yeah, uh, I think you, you also may raise a good point about the potential, um, like the longevity and the sustainability of doing ketogenic diets in the long run. I mean, I mean, how, I mean, I certainly wouldn't want to live in a world where I had to follow a ketogenic diet every single day of the year it would be it'd be horrible i mean i could i could never have pizza i could never have potatoes i could never have bread i could never have even fruit like like even fruits off the menu so it's like it's mad like how little how restrictive it can be that said i don't like demonized ketogenic diets if people prefer it and they get on with it really well and it's like it makes them you know it reduces their hunger then great i'm all i'm all in favor of people finding the dietary approach that works for them but, but I would tend to agree with you that for most people, it's it's probably too restrictive to be sustainable or, you know, enjoyable in the long run. So, James, you touched upon like empiricism and like talking hmm. about like the scientific method towards like nutrition. Yeah. What um, what advice would you give or how would you want people to look up dietary information or nutritional information or uh, information about working out? Like, where is, like, the proper source? Is it, like, just random, like, not random articles, but is it, like, Men's Health Magazine, or is there a, do we, does the average person, you know, should we get books? Like, where should we get the proper information, the correct information? Yeah, that, that's actually a really good question, and not one which is super easy to answer, because, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, from my perspective, where do I get my information from? It's, it's mainly primary research and research reviews. But honestly, that's probably too much depth 
for your, you know, your average Joe to go into, they're going to be more attracted to something like um, a men's health. And I do think we need a, a more of a culture change so that the, the kind of the more accessible um, mainstream places from which, you know, your average person gets fitness information, that those become more evidence-based because at the minute that just isn't the case. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very easy for me to say to like for personal trainers, yeah, you should read, you know, primary research and research reviews. Um, that, that, that would be my recommendation. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's harder for sure. Um, but for, for your average Joe to, to break it down. And I guess that's what I try and do with like my, my account. I try and sort of give simple take home messages from, you know, research, which might be a bit too, uh, you know, too tricky or like unappealing for your average person to read. That's, that's kind of what I try and aim for. But, um, yeah, I mean, there are obviously like some, some, some good people out there who are, who are breaking down research as well. Um, I like Jeff Nippard's, um, content on YouTube. I think he's pretty good. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, I, I guess if you're not going to go down the route of looking at research yourself, just try and follow other individuals who, you know, are referencing the facts that, you know, oh, look, this comes from such and such a study. Um, I guess that's what I would try and look out for. Also, um, you know, one of, even when I was working out, like one of the main questions and even like other people uh, would ask me, I wouldn't have the answer to this was, can you lose weight and fat and gain muscle at the same time? Or is that like too difficult or should you focus on one and then go for the other? Like what's the process regarding that? So just to add on to that question, James, that can you also, and in addition to that question, can you also define like what is the difference between losing weight versus losing fat? A lot of times I'm assuming people come yeah. to you and be like, hey, I want to lose weight and I want to lose fat. Like, could you break that down for us? Sure. Yeah. So, so weights is just your relationship with gravity. You know, weight doesn't tell you anything about the composition of your body. It doesn't tell you about what you're made up of. So, you know, if you were to go and drink a liter of water right now, you'd weigh one kilo more. And in American, that's about 2.2 pounds. So you've added 2.2 pounds to your weight acutely. But you obviously haven't gained like 2.2 pounds of fat or muscle because it's just water. We're like we we all we all get that. Um, but for some reason, people can just struggle with the concepts, you know, as we're uh, when, when we're talking about weight loss. So, um, yeah, w- w- when it comes to making sure that we want to lose, uh, you know, fat and not muscle, the key is that we have to preserve muscle tissue. So. Um, if we preserve muscle tissue, then we know that the weight we're losing is going to be coming from fat stores. Okay, you might lose a, a tiny bit of lean mass and like your organs and stuff like that can maybe like shrink a tiny bit or whatever when you lose weight. But the vast, vast majority of what you lose, if you're keeping your muscle mass, is going to be fat. So that, that's the first thing to point out. If you just focus on losing weight rather than on losing fat, then what you're probably going to end up doing is losing some sort of combination of fat and muscle. And if you do that over a long period, you, you may, you may successfully lose a lot of weight, some of which will be fat. But if you lose the muscle as well, you could probably end up looking what most people would describe as skinny fat. So not a kind of what I would say most people would, would aspire to, uh, aspire to look like. Um, 
another thing which can be quite counterintuitive to people is if if you build muscle whilst dieting you can lose more fat than you've lost weight so let's say you lose five kilos in weight but during that period you build two kilos of muscle mass you've actually lost seven kilos of fat even though you've only lost five kilos in weight and that can like completely make people's heads explode <laughs> um but it's uh yeah I, I guess just trying to get people's head around the idea that you know muscle and fat are separate tissues and different things can go on with them um you know whilst weight is going either up or down can be can be a challenge but um yeah i think in a, in a roundabout way have i covered what you asked i sort of went on a bit of a ramble there <laughs> well, definitely i think yeah you the weight the weight loss versus fat loss mm. uh, you also touched upon like the body composition or body recomposition aspect of like how easy or difficult it is to, as Nibras asked about losing fat and building muscle at the same time, is that yeah. something that you would recommend or is it possible for everyone to do or would you right. focus on one aspect before the other? Got it. Yeah, that was it. So um, I, I, I would always be focused. I mean, if, if you're someone who's focused on body composition like I do, um, and that is your primary goal, then yeah, you're always aiming to to build muscle and lose fat, um, or rather in a fat loss phase, you're always aiming to build muscle. However, as you become more and more advanced in your weight training, it becomes less realistic to add muscle in a deficit. So for someone who's like completely new to weight training, definitely possible to add muscle whilst losing body fat, definitely possible. For someone who's like an intermediate, been training a couple of years, it's less likely. But you, they might still be able to to some degree. And for someone who's been training like effectively for like a decade, ain't going to happen realistically. So that's that, that's basically kind of what it looks like. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would always advise that people try and build muscle while losing body fat because it that the net result of that is they'll end up losing more fat. Like I just explained about, you know, if you lose five kilos but gain two kilos of muscle, and you lost seven kilos of fat, you know, I think you, most people would much rather lose, you know, uh, seven kilos of fat, uh, having lost five kilos in weight than they would do, say, to lose, I don't know, um, three kilos of fat, having lost six kilos in, in weight. You see what I mean? So, you know, the, the goal should be to drop the fat, not the weight. But that most people get kind of, I guess, maybe obsessed with the number on the scales. Um, Absolutely. I think that's where a lot of people that even I've seen my experience that they get really, really, I would say really worried, you know, they've like, oh, I've been, Mm. I haven't been dropping the weight on the scale for a few weeks now. But then they would also tell me, but I've gotten stronger, I've been able to lift more. So that's, that's, that's a benefit of like, as you mentioned, replacing the weight with building muscle, Mm -hmm. really focus on the scale. Yeah, for sure. Um, James, can you talk about like this is for like the average person, like the importance yeah. of calories, uh, importance of tracking calories uh, and in losing weight and also breaking plateaus. Sure. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess at a fundamental level, like if you're trying to lose weight, trying to get your head around calories is the most important thing you could do. Like the number of people I have messaged me or email me or whatever, um, 
and you know they they tell me about all this cardio they're doing all these sort of you know incredibly restricted diets they're going through and not losing any weight it just it like makes me want to cry sometimes like it's just so painful like they're, they're doing all this really really hard stuff but not doing the one thing that actually matters so you know every diet that has ever worked ever has worked because it created a deficit um it really is crucial to get your head around that if 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 you have if you're not creating that calorie deficit you're you're not going to lose weight that is that is a fundamental um factor um so so that was the first part of your question what was the second part the second part was like well i think you kind of touched on it because yeah. even a lot of like you said a lot of people are doing all these like hard stuff and they're not losing weight so Mm-hmm. I guess to break plateaus, you have to have like a type of caloric deficit to lose weight. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I, I, in most cases, I am an advocate for tracking calories because it gives you, it gives you two main things. I would say it gives you, um, an ability to adjust if you're not lo- no longer losing weight. So like if people kind of, they don't track calories, let's say they do, you know, to use the kind of, classic bro science language they like eat clean mm. um what what happens once your weight is plateaued do you like eat cleaner like how how do we quantify this how do we, how do we measure this you can't really it's all completely subjective and arbitrary um whereas if you actually have like a metric and be like okay so you know i'm not losing weight on you know 2000 calories anymore maybe i need to drop it to 1800 to continue to lose weight it's something you can very easily um you know do to make sure you continue to lose weight um secondly i think when people track calories they immediately make like they have so many like light bulb moments they're like whoa i can't believe i was like you know drinking that shake which contains you know 600 calories or something it's like whoa that was like a third of my daily intake what the hell was i doing um and you know People often, because they never take the time to actually look at the energy content in different foods, they just kind of, they get drawn in by what I call like the health, the health food halo effect. Like that if something is like marketed as healthy, it's like, whoa, that's going to help me lose weight. That's perfect. Um, uh, and irrespective of the, of, of the calorie intake, but yeah, tracking calories helps you kind of realign. Uh, your understanding would be like okay so just because something is marketed as being good for weight loss doesn't necessarily mean it is um so yeah that, that that's why i think it can be really helpful i was just going to say I, I i but equally i don't think it should be something like the, the the goal shouldn't be to be like a slave to my fitness power forever like i view it more as like a kind of short or medium term intervention that allows you to like understand like okay so this is roughly how much different foods contain and I now roughly I kind of have a better grasp on on the energy content in different foods but then almost like to slowly transition out of it because I I, I don't view someone like tracking you know the calories until their day they die as like a, a great outcome really so um yeah I just view it as more of like an educational tool I guess no, and uh, that's something that, that's really interesting that you bring that up because I mean I can relate this to myself, and I think Nebras can also attest to this or speak from his experience that I've been uh, on a fitness journey. I've been I've transformed my body. I was two hundred pounds at one point, and then I was able to change everything over the past two two and a half years. And now I'm at a point where like I still track here and there, but even if I don't track, I'm so used to eating my regular meals that I know from the back of my head how accurate. I mean, of course, it's not every time going to be accurate everything is really pretty yeah. 
estimate. I, I can I can understand without even putting in the putting in my fitness pal how much I'm eating. So as you mentioned, I think mm-hmm. it's a good resourceful tool for someone who's never done it. And if they want to start off, they should start off with the mindset that okay, I'm gonna be putting it right now, learning from this. Eventually I wanna be used to not having to put in every single time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing you mentioned sure. about plateaus, uh, uh, plateaus and calories is that would you recommend, and I really like to ask this to a lot of different people because there's different perspectives to this, is that would you recommend that people drop their caloric intake or would you recommend they increase their activity when they're hitting those barriers? Uh, it depends what's what's most realistic for them, I think. Like, uh I mean, o- often, you know, when you're trying to increase someone's activity, if they're already like committing an hour to the gym a day, if they've got a busy lifestyle, it may not be super easy for them to squeeze in like another hour. Maybe they can, like maybe they, you know, not so busy and they can go for like a walk or whatever. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it, you, you're definitely having sometimes constrained by just the time that people have available in the day. Um, I do think it should be, Mostly again, like a personal preference thing. Like if someone's really, um, they, they would actively prefer to be like, okay, I'd rather, much rather go for like a walk in the evening for an hour and have an extra, you know, 200 calories, for example, to eat. Uh, that would, that, that, that's worth it to me. Then great. Do that equally. Um, I personally tend to like lean more towards like the lazy side of like, I would rather just eat a bit less. <laughs> um, you know, both both would get the job done. Um, One thing I know that, you know, again, you, you talk a lot about preferences, talk a lot about how people need to decide based on what their their preferences, you know. And then now you, you also mentioned that depending on how lean they are, it's the goals really, really differ. So if someone mm-hmm. like I, I'm assuming for yourself and someone who is an average person, you, you have the experience right now, what would you say to an average person that, if let's say their goal is to have less than 10% body fat, right? Throughout the year, yeah. they want to be that way, a beach body shape every single day. Is that something realistic? Is that something you would say that it depends on genetics and like other factors that can everyone can do it? Or would you say that it's something that's really like realistic for a short term? And then there's a safe spot or a sweet spot for the body to be in for the whole year. Yeah, good question. I, I guess first, before we dive in on that, I, I just want to say a little bit about body fat percentages. Like measuring body fat percentages is actually really, really difficult. And lots of us have this idea of like what 10% looks like, but it's um, <laughs> people's perception of how lean they are is often kind of off. Um, I, I, I once had my um, body uh, scanned by like a DEXA scan. I don't know if you've heard of that, but yeah, it's one of the most accurate ways you can have it done. And, uh, I was, um, I was really lean back then. I, and I spoke to the guy who was like running a fairly new clinic had opened up. He'd only been running it a few months, like six months or something. Um, and I was like the second leanest person who'd ever been on the scan, he said. So I was like, you know, one of the leanest they'd ever had. And my body fat came back as 13%. Um, and I was like, I wasn't like completely like, you know, bodybuilding stage shredded, but I wasn't like a million miles away from either. Like I was really, really lean. Um, so yeah, I think people's perception of how like how lean they are is often like 
kind of off. I just want to sort of throw that in there to begin with. Um, but yeah, if, if we're talking about what people perceive to be 10% body fat, then yeah, I, th- I think for most people, it probably is sustainable, but it varies. Um, the harsh reality is some people just have to get leaner than others to to reveal their abs. Like a lot of it like just depends on like where you carry your body fat. Um, so like some some guy might be like, you know, if we're talking about 10% as like what people perceive to be 10%, uh, 10% body fat and not see any abs potentially. Someone might be have really visible abs at like 15%. So that kind of that kind of throws things off a bit. Um so that so yeah, I th- I think I think it does vary a lot uh as to yeah, how sustainable how sustainable it is. For most people, most clients, what I tend to recommend is that we kind of spend between about two and four months in their kind of like lean form for the year. Uh, you know, in the summer generally, because that's when people are getting their shirts off. And then the rest of the year we hang around um maybe sort of somewhere between about eight and 12 pounds over that. So they're like, they feel like happy, like and they can eat a little bit more, like most of the year, they still look pretty good. Maybe look a bit bigger in their, in their uh, t-shirts and what have you in the winter. And then they're not like too far away from like their summer body. Um, so it gives you kind of like a good balance. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it, it is sustainable for most people. Um, but like I say, it varies. Some will have to suffer more than others to, to, to remain, maintain 10% body fat. And, um, yeah, each individual has got to weigh up whether, <laughs> whether the amount, that amount of sacrifice is, is worth it, I guess. And it's really, uh, it's really interesting that you brought that point up because there's so many, uh, uh, I don't know if you know Brock Ashby. He's from Australia. He's, he's one of the people that I look up to as well when it comes to information. Okay. He, he posted a uh, he, he made a post recently about his DEXA scan and he oh, yeah. has a lot of muscle right and then he's mm. like oh the DEXA scan showing me I'm at like 23-24% now that right. an average person is a lot but then he was like how these percentages fluctuate is, is just mind boggling because I mean he's lean but someone lean at 20, being lean and at 24% that doesn't make sense you know I mean it's either you're 30 mm. 40% 15% so I think one one good point that you made is that even 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 you know in addition to the scales, addition to how you look, body fat percentage could be misleading if you if you just like focus too much on it versus focus on how your appearance is or how you feel. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, given that there's there's not really a good way to act, to actually measure it, at least not cheaply and easily. It's honestly, it's not something I actually focus on too much for my clients. Like often they, they, they have scales that they, they stand on and it gives them a reading. But, um, I don't think it's always that helpful. Like, I mean, the scales that you stand on, they can give you a kind of idea of like the direction of change over time. Like if the number's going down, that's probably a good indication that you are losing body fat. But yeah, in terms of like pinpointing, like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm 8.72% body fat. It's like, there's no way I could do that. So, um, yeah, I think people get too hung up on it. Personally, like the main, the main metrics I use are to like assess progress. I like pictures done ideally under like natural lighting and, uh, you know, in, in the same spot in the house. 
because obviously like lighting can have like quite a big impact on um on how you look uh and then combine that with like body measurements and and those are like uh and, and weight of course those are like the main things i use to to track progress really um but just because like like you say like accurately tracking body fat percentage is is an absolute minefield so james uh, um like we're, since we're talking about body fat percentage, um, obviously mm. we all know that how important diet is, but when like, yeah. for example, someone like a client comes to you um, and, you know, he's like committed towards his diet, but mm. now we're talking about the aspect of working out. What type of workouts do you recommend? Is it like, is there a certain type of workout, whether it's high intensity training, high intensity uh, resistance training? Is there something specific that you recommend that you really think is effective or is it just a combination of different workouts for your clients? Um, so kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, like I think the best workout for, for fat loss is that is the best workout for muscle preservation. Like that's if you preserve or even better, you build muscle whilst in a deficit, then you're going to lose more body fat. Um so yeah, I, I I just follow what the what the research says in terms of optimal muscle growth training, basically. So it's going to depend on the client and lots of different factors, like exactly what I would recommend. But broad sweep, you want to be taking sets close to to muscular failure, and the the, the rep ranges you can use are pretty broad. Like the evidence suggests that providing you're taking sets to failure anywhere between about six and thirty reps is like great for muscle growth. I, I tend to think going above 20 is just like a bit painful. Like no one wants to do sets of 30 on like squat. Like that just sounds like horrendous. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a broad range of rep ranges you can use. Um, yeah. I mean, other key variables, one that I see people get wrong a lot is like rest periods. Like so many people are keen to like slash their rest periods really short. Cause it's like, Hey, that's, you know, really hardcore man. But um the evidence is pretty clear on that like if you if you use really short rest periods then you can't lift as much in subsequent sets um and that means that you don't uh you don't build as much muscle and strength and you know as we were saying earlier if you don't build as much muscle and strength when dieting then you don't lose as much body fat so um yeah those are like uh those are the key things i guess um volume is obviously a big one would, would my list, your listeners know what I mean by training volume or should I explain about that a bit? Yeah, I mean, you, you can definitely elaborate on the training volume aspect of things. And also, if you can also yeah. tell like how, I mean, you just mentioned that, you know, about the rest period. Now, one interesting yeah. thing that I'm, I'm aware of, and you can correct me, James, is like it's part of a progressive overload to cut down rest periods, correct? Or is that is that something that is not really much researched on? Yeah, interesting. So, uh, yeah, cutting rest periods, I guess, is a type of progressive overload in a sense. Like if you, um, let's say you, you currently bench, you know, 80 kilos to sets of 10 with rest periods of three minutes. And in three months time, you can do the same weight and same reps, but with rest periods of two minutes. Then, yeah, like that is a type of overload. But it's a type of overload that you can't keep on doing because you're just going to you're going to like exhaust that type of overload in a sense like eventually you might be able to get it down to like i don't know like a minute or like 40 seconds but it's it's not going to it's not going to be practical in the long term um like another type of overload that people sometimes talk about is like oh can i just increase sets to overload and it's like yeah you can but 
um, you know, how long do you think you're going to increase sets for? Like if you move from doing three sets to four sets this month, what are you going to be doing in like six months time? Are you going to be doing like eight sets? Like it's just yeah. your workouts to take four hours. It would, it would be mental. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, 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 the primary things to focus on when it comes to progressive overload are increasing the weight you lift or the number of reps you lift at the same weight. Um, the, the key there, of course, being doing so without sacrificing your form, um, which is, you know, a big thing you run into when you start telling people they need to lift heavier over time. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but yeah, it's, uh, particularly as like an online coach, I have to be very, um, very careful that my clients are not in- increasing the weights they're lifting at the expense of their form. Because when you tell someone like the goal here is to, to, to lift more weight over time, it's very easy for them to like start trying to cut corners and stuff to like push up the, uh, the amount of weight they're lifting in a kind of artificially fast way. And you have to sometimes be like, no, okay, it's fine. This could take many months realistically for you to now increase this. Um, yeah. And you, you know, we need to set this gold standard of like performing exercise properly with great form through a full range of motion. Um, and then just focus on slowly adding load or adding reps when you feel able to like don't don't force it in a sense of course you're always like pushing yourself as hard as you can um but yeah not to the point where your your form is breaking down i think the i think the form thing was like extremely important like that point because even for myself and a couple of my friends that we, we would work out, you know, starting from the beginning, we'd be like, oh, let's say we would bench like 100 pounds or something like that, right? Yeah. And then because you're overzealous and you want to like increase weight once, like maybe once or twice a week, you're going yeah. uh, more and more and then you're sacrificing your form. So that just like yeah. you can get injured, especially on deadlift. I felt like I feel like deadlift as an exercise, I think the form is extremely important for me because when I was lifting like heavy, I would sacrifice my back and, you know, I would be out yeah. for like two, three weeks because my, my form was terrible and then I would hurt my back. So I think form, like you said, is extremely important. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it's, it's more important than anything else really, because like, you know, we're doing this to be like fitter and stronger. And if like you start exercising really bad form and make yourself injured, you're like the opposite of that. You're like a, an old man, like hobbling around. You can't do anything. Like it's, being injured is is terrible so like yeah the number one goal like objective always avoid injury and to do that using proper form is is crucial and it's just better for for muscle growth as well like the evidence is clear on that when people start like swinging weights around and using momentum you're no longer like localizing the tension on the target muscle you're just recruiting loads of other muscles to kind of help so just from a lack of results perspective as well it doesn't make sense so James, can you talk about just like uh, extending that point? How important uh, is patience in the gym, especially for someone who's new? Like, you know, we, uh, like I said, everyone wants to gain uh, muscle quickly. Everyone wants to lose fat quickly. But how important is patience for the long run for your mentality in, in this process? Yeah, it, it's really important because um, the, the longer you do this you know, assuming you're consistently doing it, the slower the results are going to come. <laughs> like, you know, your your first couple of years of training will be, unless you're doing something really, really badly wrong, they will be by far your most productive years of training. Um, 
and you, you, you're not going to achieve that, that rate of gains again, unless maybe you hop on steroids or something. But yeah, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, you, you've got to have like a long-term mindset beyond that and kind of think, you know, that the, the, these small, like incremental, um, improvements you're making over time that you're progressively overloading on aren't going to seem like that big. Um, from one week to the next or even one month to the next, you're not even going to notice the difference really. Um, but you know, cumulatively doing that, adding, you know, a couple of pounds or a couple of kilos, you know, one month here, another month there over the course of like months and years is going to add up like a big difference. So yeah, once you're past, you know, the first couple of years, patience is like really crucial. I think for it's, it is fortunate in a sense that many of the gains you make when lifting weights are front loaded because that kind of hooks people into the gym. Like if it, if it weren't like that, lots of people probably wouldn't bother. But the fact that you, you can kind of gain like in your first year of trading, maybe something like 50% of the muscle you're ever going to gain is quite fortunate in a way because it, it hooks people in or it hooks people in. So um yeah, it's a bit definitely, which if you're going to be like, uh, once you get past that kind of couple of years stage, it's, it is, it is a grind and you need to be, need to be in it for the long run. And I'm just going to throw it in there that mentioning about form and patience is that don't let your ego get to you. I think that's where a lot of people sacrifice their form or everything just to be like, Hey, I'm going to one up that person, add an additional 30 pounds. <laughs> I don't care what happens. I'm going to lift this weight up. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And, um, I think, yeah, be, being surrounded by like the wrong people, someone like egging you on to do like to lift weights that you really shouldn't be lifting could potentially be quite, um, quite dangerous there. So, um, yeah, and I, I feel like a lot of the reason maybe sometimes people get into lifting weights and stuff is because they, uh, potentially have issues with their like ego or they, so, you know, they want to kind of build themselves up to be more like physically impressive and what have you. So, trying to um then almost like decouple um their i guess their i like almost like part of their identity from what they're doing in the gym could could be quite could be quite tricky so um but yeah i mean if you if you do focus on just uh you know lifting weights to like satisfy your ego you're probably going to get injured and and as a result end up making like way less gains than you would have done if you hadn't trained with such a big ego so yeah, um, definitely best to be in it, be in it for like the long term and not not do anything too risky. And that's really cool that you you just mentioned that like people have this set image in the gym, and I think personally, from from what I've seen in my experience, that a lot of people that are in the gym don't really have a set goal, and I think that's where their mm. mindset differs. Is that I'm lifting just to you know build muscle or like feel good. But I don't know what's the purpose. I don't know what the end goal is. And I personally would advise this to a lot of my friends. And this is how I look at things that it's, I don't think you should have like a set goal when it comes to fitness and health overall. It's its like, as I mentioned, it's a journey, you know, it's, it's a marathon. You got to be in it for a long run and you got to just keep doing it for as long as you can. Yeah. And I think that's, it's hard though, right? Because some, some people, for some people, that's not going to be very motivating. <laughs> like the idea that you've just got to like do this forever with like knowing goal is, is quite tricky. So yeah, I think for some people having like, like regular, like short term or like medium term goals can potentially be useful just to keep them engaged 
Um, yeah, ideally, yeah, you're right. You want everyone to have this like perfect, like long-term vision. I'm just doing it for the love of it. But yeah, I do think, you know, sometimes kind of breaking it down, um, can be useful. But then again, I, I also think it's better to focus on the process than the goal because, you know, what, what happens if you, you put all your effort into achieving this goal and you don't achieve it? Like it's not, you can say, oh, look, I want to add, you know, 20 pounds to my bench over the next three months, what have you. And you could do everything right. You could be going to bed early, getting all your protein and eating enough calories, like, you know, warming up for hours in the gym, getting, you know, ready and everything. And you might not achieve it. And I guess you could, you may potentially feel let, like disappointed. Um, so yeah, um, I guess I'm saying slightly contradictory things here, but yeah, in, in a general sense, I think it is better to just like focus on the process and like let goals take care of themselves. Definitely is. Yeah. Uh, Jim, I want to really, really touch on this, this, I would say one of the most popular myths. Uh, well, I don't know if it's a myth or if it's like maybe it worked for some people because a lot of people promote it as well. What is, what are the benefits or like, is there even any benefit of like doing a fasted cardio versus doing a cardio later in the day? And also you can also answer uh, the question that I have, which is, does it matter what time of the day you eat to maximize weight loss, fat loss and muscle growth? Okay. Um, so from like a fat loss perspective, the time of day at which you do cardio assuming you do like the same amount type duration etc doesn't matter no um now the reason why people think that it does is because they will often read studies that say something along the lines of when participants uh did cardio in the fastest state there was greater fat oxidation and you know that you know in sort of basic speak means they they burnt more fat in the fastest state um, however, what they sort of fail to realize is that whether you've burnt more fat by, say, like seven o'clock in the morning means absolutely nothing if over the 24 hour periods you haven't burnt more fat than the person doing fed cardio. The reason that you burn, quote unquote, more fat um, in a fastest state uh, is because um overnight your glycogen levels are going to be like more depleted so you're you're going to use up more more glycogen um because just because it's been a long time since your your last meal glycogen is like the stored form of carbohydrate for anyone who hasn't heard that term before um so you know in, in the sense that you're you're then going to use more fats as a full fuel substrate it is correct to say that you will burn more fat doing faster cardio. However, that doesn't necessarily translate into burning more actual body fat, because if you do burn more fat um, in, the, in the faster state, that means you're just going to be burning less fat across the rest of the day. So it all balances out. Like whether you do cardio first thing in the morning or in the middle of the day or last thing at night, it really doesn't matter. Like the, the fuel substrate that you're using does, at a particular time of day does not dictate whether you gain or lose body fat. That is dictated by energy balance. So um, that's, it was, was, that, was that clear? People always be like, oh, you know what? I'm going to do faster cardio in the morning first thing. Yeah. yeah. Then later on in the evening, I'll, I'll work out or whatever it is that I, <laughs> I want to do in the gym. Yeah. And this also extends going back to the low carb thing, like to ketogenic diets. Like people hear, like, oh, I'll be burning fat all day. And again, they're technically right, 
you will be burning fat all day because all you're eating is fat. Like that is the fuel substrate which you are consuming. So yes, you'll be burning fat all day, but you could burn fat all day um, and gain body fat if you were in a calorie surplus. Um, so yeah, I, I completely understand why people get mixed up with these terms. They are confusing and it is unfortunate. Um, uh, so, so yeah, it, it is really important to make that distinction between the type of fuel substrate you're using at a particular time does not mean that you're necessarily burning more body fat over the, the course of a 24 hour period. Um, so to your second question, you said, was there any, any benefit to eating at certain times of day for fat loss or muscle growth? Right. Yeah. So, uh, again, referring back to what we said earlier about the best like fat loss diet being the one that helps you maintain the most muscle mass, uh, it kind of goes back to that. You know, if we, if we want to lose body fat, we want to maintain our muscle mass. What's the best way to do that from a, um, a dietary perspective when we look at timing? Um, the evidence suggests that you want to firstly get enough protein in. That's the most important, um, probably aspect of muscle retention, along with maybe not using too big of a deficit, but we'll come back to that. Um, and then from a timing aspect on protein, the, the most important thing is to spread those meals fairly evenly across the day. So let's say you're eating, I don't know, 160 grams of protein a day. What you don't want to do is just like have nothing in the morning or just like have like a banana, which has like no protein in, have like a low protein lunch and then have 160 grams of protein in one massive hit at the end of the day, have like a massive mixed grill or something. That would not be the optimal way to spread your protein across the day. A much better way would be to, to say, okay, what is my, my total amount of protein for the day? It's 160 grams. Okay. So let's say I'm going to have three meals and a snack. So I'm going to spread that evenly. So what would 160 divided by four be? 40. So I'm going to have. Um, four meals of, and or three meals in a snack, each containing roughly 40 grams of protein. Um, yeah. And from a, from both a muscle gain and a muscle retention standpoint, that would be the best way to spread your protein across the day. When it comes to like the other macronutrients, carbs and fats, it doesn't make a huge difference. Um, it, it really doesn't like, uh, particularly if you're just doing like one hour of weight training, um, a day, like, but whether you eat carbohydrates an hour after a workout or 10 hours after it, you're still going to replenish your glycogen in time for um, the next time you do weight training the following day. So it, it really isn't going to, it's going to have very, very minimal impact. Um, so yeah, when it comes to like timing carbs and fats, I would just honestly um, advise people to time it when it's most convenient for them and helps them stick to their deficit and or surplus as appropriate um and also when uh when they feel like they uh perform best uh in the gym so some people if they eat like 200 grams of uh cars right before they go to the gym they feel like really lethargic and they just feel like really slow and low energy some people it's complete opposite they feel brilliant they feel like all fueled up so yeah i think on, on that front it really is a kind of a personal preference thing um, because the science doesn't tell us that there's any real benefit to to timing your your carbohydrates or fats in any particular way. Timing of it. What would you say when it comes to training? Or does it matter? I mean, I know that there's an optimal window for uh, for once you lift weights or like any kind of training for you to eat after your training. But what would you say 
uh, is the optimal time to eat before the training? Um, yeah, kind of as I was just covering, I think it's a self-experimentation thing. I've not seen any strong evidence that, you know, participants who, I don't know, trained, who ate one hour before activity did way better than those who ate, you know, three hours, for example. I haven't seen any strong evidence on that. The, the only evidence I have seen is that um, when people trained in a fasted state, they, uh, I think I put up a, uh, some, a graphic on breaking down some study on this a few weeks ago, that they, their performance was very slightly worse, I think. If you're training in a fasted state, you're probably going to be more depleted in glycogen. Um, so, yeah, weight training performance might be slightly worse, but it, it's not a big deal. It's, de- it's definitely not such a big deal that I'd ever tell someone who does weight training first thing in the morning that they shouldn't be doing that. Um, again, I, I feel like personal preference and ad- long-term adherence to the plan is what a much, much more important variable there than, you know, trying to optimize your nutrition intake around, um, around your training there. So yeah, again, I, I don't know if that's a slight frustrating answer, but from the, from the evidence I've seen that there's no real strong indication of like, you should eat X amount of carbs or fats, you know, in X amount of hours before or after you train. Um, it's, uh, it, re- it really should be dictated by personal preference. Absolutely. So, James, um, one important question I have that I've like faced in my own like journey towards fitness, and I think a lot of my friends have as well, and I'm pretty sure you've gotten this question a bunch of times, is like for myself, like I'll have like, what's the what's the term like the summer body where like i'll go really hard in the gym and my diet for right. three months yeah and then um school will start and then i'll be like all stressed out so i won't go to the gym mm-hmm. and obviously because of stress like i'll eat a lot worse than i usually would and then i would lose muscle so what my my question would be is that how fast do you lose muscle and when you try to go back uh to working out and eating healthy again does your body have like some type of muscle memory where it it regains muscle faster or is it like a process like a start over process again um so initially after you start training you won't lose muscle that quickly um the evidence i've seen is that it takes probably at least two muscle uh two weeks sorry to lose any measurable amount of muscle tissue but then there's margin for error in these calculations so it's always kind of difficult to pinpoint when you might start losing it um and then from that point you kind of steadily lose lose a bit week by week it's not going to be like huge but yeah it, you definitely will start to lose it after a period uh, of not doing any training although you know any kind of activity you are doing may help like offset that a little bit so like you know if you're if you're play, if you're like active and playing like sports even if you're not lifting weights that would probably preserve muscle a little bit better than like not doing anything um well i mean when you look at like studies where people are completely like immobilized they lose muscle like fast, like people who are like, you know, they've broken both their legs and it's all, they're all, you know, in bandages, whatever, and they can't move. Like the muscle really does move, does drop off like surprisingly quite quickly there. So yeah, like even relatively like low amounts of just exercise and movement do provide quite a strong, um, sort of muscle retention stimulus there. Um, most people will probably be quite surprised by how little training it takes to maintain muscle mass. Like it's, it's it's way way less than the amount of training you need to grow new muscle mass probably like 20 percent of the volume that you would normally train with is enough to maintain muscle mass for most people which probably translates into like a couple of hard sets to failure 
per week per muscle group. So for most people, they could probably maintain the vast majority of their muscle mass off just one or two sessions a week, even if they'd previously been training, you know, five or six days a week. Um, so that's something to bear in mind if you're going through like a phase where you feel like you can't commit to training as much. It doesn't take that much training to just maintain where you currently are. Um, so that's that would be something to be mindful of. Um, sorry, what's the second part of your question? The second part was like, let's say you're not training at all and you lose... I mean, like you said, it's sorry, like muscle memory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you have? Yeah. Does the body have muscle memory? Yeah, Where definitely. Where can regain yeah. muscle quicker? Uh, yeah, you, yeah. So regaining lost muscle is much easier than building it in the first place. Yeah, your muscles sort of develop uh, more myonuclei, and yeah, that seems to be a mechanism uh, by which you can regain lost muscle much much faster. Um, and sometimes, like the most like crazy transformations you see in terms of um yeah just like how quickly someone has gone from looking out of shape to in shape or when someone who had previously done a lot of weight training and then completely stopped for like an extended period gets back into it just because the muscle memory is just allowing them to to build muscle tissue tissue much faster than someone who'd never lifted weights before so yeah it's definitely real and um to be honest i imagine a lot of people are going to be benefiting from that over the coming months as gyms start to reopen i don't know what the the situation is like in Detroit but yeah the UK is all closed at the minute so yeah I guess there'll be a lot of muscle memory kicking in in the coming months. <laughs> well, I think one thing um, that I'm, I've seen as you mentioned is that a lot of people that the gym that I go to it's a, it's a local LA fitness here is there, there are a lot of regulars in the same gym and I noticed mm-hmm. that pre-COVID they were all like in really good shape you know like in their top shape working on stuff but when they came back I, I saw them in the gym and they had completely like lost the muscle. They got their bellies now and stuff. And of course they're trying to, right. I mean, as you mentioned, I guess for them, it might not take as long for them to get back in shape because of how consistent they were before. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a real phenomenon and, um, you know, good job really. Cause I mean, that would suck, right? Like if I should be like spent like a decade, like, really committed to your your physique and then like you just like stop doing it for six months and then it's like back to square one like you're 10 years away from where you were (laughs) like that would be terrible so elite yeah that is that is fortunate the human body is 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 a a very miraculous thing you know it's like it's not it's not as simple as people think of it to be oh it's mentally complicated like yeah it's, it's i mean when you start to really look into it it's actually mind-blowing how complicated it is it's uh yeah i really can't wrap my head around it like whenever you think like oh this is really complicated and then you you find some other study which like opens up a whole new like line of stuff you never you didn't even know existed you're like whoa i just know nothing <laughs> It's, it's quite humbling, actually. Yeah, it's definitely like a lot of research goes up, like so many things. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll have to do a whole segment on like what actually a human body is. But James, right. one thing I'd like to ask you, and uh, I know, I know uh, you're a busy person, you have to go shortly, so we'll, we'll let you go soon, is that what would you recommend for someone, especially like times like these, like COVID and, you know, when people don't have access to gyms, well, it's getting better now, but eventually what would you recommend for someone in terms of diet and training when it comes to like right now the only access they have is looking up stuff online or looking up people online but what's your recommendation into like how they can start out in the right way sure yeah so i think 
when it comes to training, like you, you, you don't need to overcomplicate it. You just need to to keep it simple, really. Um, so, yeah, like what what are your main muscle groups? You you want to try and do some sort of exercise where you're pushing things away. From it, I would say so. Um, that is going to hit things like your chest, your shoulders, and your triceps. So, um, yeah, whether that's like uh, like a push up or a press up, you might call it in, in the UK, or um, something I've used a lot actually of clients who um, you know struggled to get access to much equipment over the past year is just like putting like water bottles in like a a, a rucksack and that's made for quite a good um, like just like makeshift weight that they can use and you could do like uh, like single arm overhead press with that that can work pretty well um, so yeah that's covered like your your chest your shoulders and your triceps um, your your back and biceps are probably the hardest ones to train I would say at home with like zero equipment again you could use what I just said like you could you could put like water bottles or books or something in a rucksack and do some kind of like bends over row or something like that um if you have access to a chin-up bar then that's the fantastic exercise that you can do for your you know your back and your biceps um or if you don't, like, depending on what the restrictions are in your area, um, you could go to like, you know, like an outdoor gym and do like chin ups on that or something, or even like a tree, as long as it's like a strong branch, like you could, you could do chin ups on that potentially. Um, then you've got like your lower body. There's two main movement patterns you want to hit really. You want some kind of like squat variation because that's going to hit, you know, your, your quads and your, uh, your glutes. So, um, like goblet squats, something where you're holding a weight out in front of you, like a, a really, really good one. Um, different types of lunges or Bulgarian split squats are great. Um, and then, uh, pistol squats, I wore like a one-legged squat. They're my favorite. They, they've made up like the majority of my leg training over the past like five months. Um, and then like the, the final, uh, final thing to hit, I guess would be like a hip hinge movement, some kind of like deadlift variation, some sort of like, uh, Romanian deadlift or like a, a single legged, um, yeah, Romanian deadlift, uh, is, is a good way to hit your, your hamstrings and your glutes. Yeah. And with like just four exercises, you hit pretty much all of your muscle fibers. Um, so you should, you know, you know, even with like very limited or no equipment, be able to, should be able to at least maintain your muscle mass with those exercises. The only sort of painful bit in all that is because the weights you have access to will probably be a lot lighter than what you would normally have access to. Um, you might have to take the reps pretty high. <laughs> so you may have to go to like 30, 40 reps to take the sets close to failure. Um, so. Yeah, but sometimes you just got to do what you got to do to get the to get the stimulus in. So um, yeah, it's uh, time to just uh, push those reps up, I guess. Uh, that would be the main thing. And uh, yeah, and in terms, so wrong. Okay. I'm just going to touch on diet um, as well. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't really know if my recommendations would change that much now compared to normal times. Really, I, I don't think as a Maybe some people have more or less time on their hands than normal. I don't know, depending on their circumstances. Um, yeah, I mean, if you've got more more time on your hands than normal, then you know, spending longer cooking and kind of making like like big big salads or things can always help in terms of like being really filling. Just because you know, when it comes to foods that are most filling on a per calorie basis, any like vegetables are like the best way to go, basically. So. Maybe that's something that people would have more time to to spend making than they would normally 
if they were like in an office at work, they might just grab a sandwich normally, like swapping that out, like a big old salad with some kind of bean protein sauce in it could be like an easy thing that they could, they could do from home um, possibly. And what's one thing you would say that, uh, that what's a resource or a good direction for someone who has uh, never been into fitness is just starting out for them to look up online or even like do some research. What would you say starting out, what areas or what resources should they be utilizing? Uh, it's a good question. Um, it's probably one I should give a bit more thought to because I just kind of get trapped <laughs> in my little like evidence-based world. And then I try and like digest what I hear to like more Joe public. But um, that's actually a really good question. Uh, I mean, it could be anything that you recommend or maybe like, you know, from or you could you could recommend from when you started off you know when you transitioned from like the typical magazine yeah yeah medieval, there's like actual research-based stuff yeah i mean so i guess um some of the the guys i should credit who kind of started pushing me more towards um yeah, helping me like understand that we should do things in evidence-based evidence-based way would be um like eric helms of uh team 3dmj i found his content was uh, absolutely excellent. Um, Brad Schoenfeld, he's a really, really good guy. He's a researcher. Um, but again, in my head, I'm just thinking like, are these guys like the most successful of someone who's completely new to fitness? Possibly not. Um, so yeah, that's actually honestly like a good question. Probably one I should give more thought to. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of what I try and do myself. I don't know where, how successful I am in doing that. Um, you know I, I i'm well aware that like your average individual like quoting like you know a load of like statistical like numbers and like p values and stuff in the study is like the most disengaging thing they could ever hear they're just like oh, i just don't care like so yeah trying to trying to break down research in a um like an easy to understand and attractive way is is, is definitely really important um and yeah. I think as we just mentioned earlier as well as like this process of research and understanding, I don't think it's a one-time thing. You have to constantly learn, constantly understand new things. You may have an injury, so you're going to start looking up stuff about injury, how to recover or work out during that time. So wherever I, I, my recommendation to the audience would be based on the information that James has shared with us is that wherever you're starting, start with the basics, you know, start looking up the basics. So if you don't know the workouts that James has mentioned, look them up, understand what muscles they connect. And if you're coming through an injury, understand how you can work around it. You have tons and tons of information on the website. It's just that you need to find the most credible one with the right resource and the right uh, backing up of science in it. James, thank you so much for being with us today. I have one final question uh, for you before that. Nibraj, do you have anything for James? I was just going to talk to him real quickly about like, I've never used them, but like, what are, are there any myths uh, regarding vitamins? Like which ones are good? Which ones are bad? I think um, vitamins and supplements. Yeah. Vitamins and supplements. Yeah. Like, can you just quickly talk about like which ones work, which ones don't, um, which ones people think like, Oh, uh, I've used them. Uh, should we use them or like, should we not? Yeah, uh, so, so it, it obviously depends um, uh, on, on an individual's diet, whether they're going to benefit from it. Unfortunately, that the individuals who are most likely to benefit from it are the individuals who take them the least. That's what the research shows. Are people who are getting plenty of micronutrients in their diet already from their just normal food intake are the ones who are most likely to consume 
vitamin pills whereas people who actually have like really poor quality diets would never even like consider uh buying it or just don't have the money to do so or whatever um in terms of like specific supplements like um uh, I mean, vitamin D is something that most people in the Western world have some kind of moderate deficiency in, unless you're, you know, walking around with your shirt off in a sunny climate a lot, you're probably not getting enough vitamin D. Um, so that, that would be something to consider for sure. Um, yeah, uh, magnesium is another relatively common nutrient deficiency, but, um, if I'm not mistaken, it's one of the slightly more expensive vitamins so actually isn't always contained in like your general multi-purpose vitamin so um yeah definitely worth looking on the bottle like you know sometimes you might think oh if it's multivitamin it must contain everything i need but doesn't necessarily um yeah for the most part people don't need them um i would suggest unless they're having a a poor quality diet uh i mean to be honest it's one of actually the, the success stories of i guess western civilization i suppose over the past like century that you know severe micronutrient deficiencies are now actually extremely rare like even foods that we might think of as being like very nutrient sparse like you know breakfast cereals like like sugary breakfast cereals they're all like fortified now with like lots of key vitamins and minerals which means that you know um kids who have parents who may be aren't like super focused on nutrition and like just, you know, give them the easiest thing they can, which might be some cereal in the morning. They're getting like most of the essential nutrients they need, at least enough to the point they wouldn't be deficient. So, um, you know, that's not to say that in general, people shouldn't try and eat lots of uh, micronutrient dense food. They should. Um, but yeah, I mean, severe nutrient deficiency, micronutrient deficiency is pretty rare in the rest of the world, thankfully. Um, although vitamin D is probably one worth worth thinking about for most people. Awesome. Thank you so much, James, for that, for the valuable information. I know that vitamins is something that people are taking on a regular basis as well. So I think that's something that people should focus on. And I think there shouldn't be much focus on supplements because if we have a proper diet, we don't really need supplements unless we're like yeah. an elite level athlete. I would, I would say so. Now I just have one final question for you, James, before I let you go yeah. is, one person, dead or alive, you'd want to work out with? Oh, that's a good old question. Uh, that's a really good question. Well, are, are we talking like, as in, would I, or like just on any level, or like the one person oh, I would like be, find most motivational to work out with? Or it could like, be someone that you're like, oh man, if I could only work out with The Rock, or I could work out with Arnold, <laughs> you know, like something that like inspires you, like would push you, like, like it's part of your motivation, part of like your thing that, you know what, these guys, or someone that I really want to work out with or being there with them, you know? Yeah. Well, if I could choose anyone, it probably wouldn't be like a normal bodybuilder. It would just be someone I find like really interesting who I could like quiz on like other shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? It wouldn't, <laughs> but like if it, if it was like someone who would like, I would find like motivating and like just like interesting, I guess like, uh, if we go back to like the golden era of bodybuilding, like Frank Zane's physique, I don't know if you are aware of him. Uh, he won uh, Mr. Olympia and is 77, I think. And back then, Mr. Olympia, like the contestants, like they took steroids, like they were big, but they, they weren't like freaky, like so freaky and kind of, um, just like to me, like the, the, the really massive blokes you get up on the, you know, um, Mr. Olympia stage, I don't find that an, an attractive physique, not to say it's not, you know, really impressive what they're accomplishing. Yeah. It is, 
But um, yeah, those, those kind of like, I guess, more golden era physiques in like the 70s. Um, and uh, I ones I kind of aspire to more. And just a, as someone who's like natural like me, like that's more attainable. Like I, I know I'm ne- never even going to look as good as those guys either, <laughs> but at least it's like a bit closer to what I look like. So yeah, probably Frank Zane. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much again for taking our time being with us, James. I know that you have your own uh, online transformation academy uh, on Instagram. Where can, where can people find you other than that, if they want to reach out to you or get on your program? Sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, my, my, my main Instagram page is just at James Q fitness. So James Q just spelled uh, James and then K E W fitness. Um, so yeah, that'll probably be like the main place. Uh, you can just send me a DM on there or, you know, if you go on that profile and click through, uh, like in my bio, you can find like a link to my transformation Academy. So you can have a look at the, some of the client results there. Um, and yeah, if you've just got any questions for me, I'm always happy to help people. I don't always get back to my DMs like super quickly. Like I do get lost. So I can't guarantee you that I will respond immediately, but eventually I do end up getting back to pretty much everyone unless they message me like an asshole. Um, so yeah. <laughs> um, so disclaimer, James does have a huge following on social media. So it does, yeah. I assume it does get difficult for him to get back to every single question. So please reach out to him. Please uh, approach his his program as as you guys have heard that you know it's all science based and I'm I'm 100 sure that he will lead you in the right direction. So again, James, thank you so much for being with us today. We hopefully look forward to hosting you again at some point. No problem, guys. Thanks so much for having me. It was an interesting chat. Likewise, thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow the Instagram page two three two five fitness. For more health and fitness information, if you have any questions, please send us an email at 2325.fit at gmail.com and please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast.